You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thangball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Community Pulse. Uh, we're happy to have you back for episode 34, where we'll be chatting a little bit about technical or tech savvy. What does this mean in the DevRel world? And what does it mean when you're looking at jobs and, and possible opportunities? But before we get started, I'd like to give a little shout out to our sponsor, IBM. Are you building cloud applications with Java, AI, machine learning, serverless, and containers? IBM Developer provides a large number of code patterns, sample applications, articles, tutorials, and videos to help you build faster. All code is available on GitHub. You can incorporate any code into existing applications or use it to start a new application. Simply go to developer.ibm.com to access IBM Developer resources and start building. Find us on Twitter, at IBM Developer. So, that said, um, talking DevRel and tech savvy, I think it's good that we give a little background to our experiences before we jump into the conversation. So, hi, my name is PJ. Those of you who listen to the podcast already know that. Um, I came into DevRel accidentally. I was tricked into doing a lightning talk. I had been a developer for years. Um, I have a four-year CS degree from the State University of New York uh, that has given me very little value either as a developer or in DevRel, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, it was very outdated before I even finished the degree. I knew that we were years behind what was going on in the industry. Um, but that said, like I do have a very technical background. I've been coding since I was probably about 14 or 15 on both sides of the law. Um, but that's where I came. And then just because apparently I'm gregarious, as people like to say, which I think is a nice way of saying obnoxious, I started being part of, you know, DevRel before it was DevRel and speaking, and I've been doing that about seven or eight years now. So that's me. Mary? Cool. So I came into DevRel accidentally as well, but I have no technical background. Um, so I was actually going into journalism, and it was right at the time when all the newspapers were laying off the writing staff, so great timing on my part. Um, but I wound up at O'Reilly Media and had like tinkered with HTML growing up because I got tired of the, and I'm dating myself, the Yahoo plug and play websites when they first came out where like you can change the colors. Exactly. Like you can change the colors this much, or you can move the things around this much. And I was like, no, 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 I want to do more. And so my dad told me to go learn HTML. Um, but because of that, I wound up doing more of the like technical stuff on the O'Reilly PR team. So I was responsible for coding the emails and all of those types of things. And in addition, when I was writing the press releases for the new books, I wasn't okay with just like, let me read the back cover copy and flip through a couple pages of the book and then write the press release. Like I wanted to know where things actually fit within the industry. And so I learned to kind of mind map things according to that. How does it fit? What else does it go with? Where might people be interested in going after this? Who might be interested in this? And asked enough questions about like, how do we know people want to hear about these topics? And how do we know what else they're doing with our resources that our president, Laura Baldwin, finally said, fine, you go do your thing, go figure out those questions. I think I was just the annoying 20 something at that point in time and like gave me a budget to go figure stuff out and kind of landed in this community manager role without really knowing what community management was similar to PJ. Like I'm going to go do this talk and I'm going to go meet these people and wound up kind of figuring out what community management was and then figuring out what developer relations was. And I've been working with various developer communities for over 10 years now. 
Jason, you're up next. Tough act to follow. Um, yeah, my name is Jason, um, and I'm at Jason Hand on Twitter. And as far as how I ended up here, um, I, I can't say that it was an accident, but I, I had a f another friend of mine who uh, lived in the Boulder area who was also a technical evangelist, and I just sort of loved seeing the things that he was doing um, uh, socially, like on Twitter and Facebook and that kind of thing. And um, when the opportunity came up at Victor Ops, I just, you know, kind of on a whim put my name in there. But up until then, most of my career, at least all of my recent career, had been really in management. I was the director of support, technical support for a couple of startups. And then prior to that, I was the um, director of operations for just sort of the business in general um, back in Indiana. So I kind of uh, started off a, a little bit more technical coming out of college, but even then I had just a general uh, business degree with uh, computer information systems being sort of the focus. I, of course, learned quite a bit um, sort of on the technical side, but really didn't have to do too much in the way, in the way of um, development work. So um, most of my experience came as just sort of being the head of IT and then um, kind of working up through different leadership positions. I feel like I've kind of lost my technical muscles over the years, um, but have been able to pick up new ones. And then um, I think I also have to sort of attribute the fact that um, for a number of years I played in a band and I think that that gave me sort of the, you know, the things that I do on stage. Um, you know, I'm still terribly afraid of, of crowds and, and just, you know, being on stage in general, but I think all of the time doing the band stuff that actually helped a lot too. So yeah, I don't it's know. I'll second I that. This. Yeah, it makes a, yeah, I think it makes a big difference uh, it, it, for no other reason. Like I know how to hold a microphone next to my face. Um, which a lot of people struggle with. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've kind of been all over the map, um, but um, I think that's, you know, sounds like that's a common story for a lot of us, really. Mm -hmm. Carissa. Cool. Um, I'm Carissa. I work at Microsoft as a program manager for their Azure advocacy team. Uh, the technical experience question for me is like kind of hard to answer because I come from what I call hard science. So my training is as a, molecular biologist degree, and I did cancer research um, for nine years. So I have technical, if we're talking about scientific things, I have technical experience, but if we're talking about code, I have none. I mean, I've taught myself through like tutorials and then just trying to do side projects and do that, but it's all self-taught. So in that sense, I don't exactly have some kind of development background or CS degree. I took one CS class in college. I guess I should have taken more. Um, I really wanted to be in tech. It took me three years to convince somebody that I had any applicable skills from being in cancer research. And I started out just helping with events at New Relic um, part-time and was just kind of very much like, get me in. I want to be around this. I want to do it more. I want to just keep diving in. And so that's kind of my path into this whole crazy land. Um, but yeah. All right, Maddie, up to you. Okay. <clears throat> so my name is Maddie Stratton. I'm a DevOps advocate at PagerDuty. And I ha um, do not have any formal technical uh, posts training or whatever. In fact, I don't even have a college degree, but when I went to college, it was for theater. So I spent a little time as a theater major and then went out to join the workforce, started out working uh, as a field, you know, kind of uh, at an Apple service center, fixing broken Apple twos and Macs. 
And I did stumble into a job in the mid nineties as a webmaster uh, for an online uh, computer uh, sales company that at the time was a competitor to CDW when CDW had competitors. And that's probably the most closest to actual software engineering that I had done. So I was sort of trying to hack together shopping carts using Perl and CGI bin. But most of my career has been in operations. So I spent uh, two decades working primarily with Microsoft backend systems um, as a sysadmin or a system engineer. And so my, my software background is, I mean, I can, I wouldn't even say I can write software. I do write software and it is terrible um, because I don't have, you know, really kind of, I don't, I don't think like a software engineer. I find that kind of a thing, but I know how to put things together. And I've been officially, I guess, in you know a DevRel capacity just for a little bit over a year when I joined PagerDuty. But for some reason, several years ago, Mary thought that what I did was similar enough to DevRel to invite me to the DevRel Slack. And I think <laughs> uh, so because I, I spent I spent uh, several years working as a sales engineer for Chef, mm -hmm. and I was doing a lot of community related type things um, as part of that job. And I, I think similarly to, you know, Jason, when you're talking about working, you know, kind of your experience in a band, I spent years studying improv in Chicago and kind of, I think the theater and the improv background absolutely helps me, sometimes works to my detriment in, in uh, DevRel because I, I feel too confident in my improv and maybe I don't prepare as much as I should, but that's a whole other, that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> whole other you, you, yeah. kill, you kill it at karaoke ignite. Yes, that is, that is the one skill I will tell you. And <laughs> is, is I very, have a very specific improv training piece that is, is the success for karaoke ignite. And we could maybe talk about that at another time. I'll give that tip as maybe part of the checkout. There you go. I'm going to add that to my notes. <laughs> very so cool. it's interesting. Like, I mean, we're all we're all sitting here explaining our backgrounds, and I think all of us have aspects of our backgrounds that that help us in what we do today. But the only one of us here that actually has a quote unquote official CS degree is PJ. And PJ, you even said like, I don't think it's actually been helpful. But there's yeah, I, well, uh, let me let me put it kind of it was helpful in the beginning to get okay. the job. I mean, it was this was uh, I mean, so full disclosure, I went to I went to college at the age of seventeen. I quit college at the age of seventeen to go on tour. Um, so I didn't really go back to college till I was 24, but even at that point, like I, my, my, like I'm much older than that now. However, you know, my, my college degree is from 2004. Okay. Um, nonetheless, not really the point. Um, even at that point, it, it, the industry was at a place where if you wanted to do anything, anything at all, you needed a degree in it. Um, I think that's changed a lot since then. Uh, even for, you know, we're talking about developer, oh, before we even get into definitions, developers and what makes a developer and thinking like a developer and things like that. But nowadays, like you don't need a degree to be, to be a developer. You don't need a boot camp to be a developer. You don't need to do anything but be self-taught to be a developer. So it's a very different world than where I got my degree. And obviously, it being 14, 15 years ago, anything that I would have learned except for maybe, you know, how to write SQL statements is completely obliteratedly outdated. SQL so, doesn't change much though. I'd, I'd agree with you on some of those points, but we're seeing all of these jobs posted saying you need a CS degree or X number of years of, ex of right. equivalent experience. 
and you've got a lot of recruiters who are looking at job applications going and automatically saying that eh, you're not qualified because you have to have a technical degree right. or a technical background. Well, even, even with that, I've applied for jobs before I started Deverlate. I apply for jobs and people would say you weren't technical enough. And I'd be like, I've been a developer for 10 years. I've done systems right. administration. I've been a webmaster. I've, you know, I've hacked the planet. Like what else do you require? And I have the degree mm-hmm. and they're still like, nah, you're not technical enough. What does that even mean? Right. Right. And on the other side, I, I, we were talking about this before the episode started. Like I would never, never tell someone that I am technical, but like, I can do Markdown. I can do HTML. I'm the person who builds the website for Community Pulse every month when we release new episodes. Right. So like, how does that how does that play out, right? I can see myself around a really well-documented API and build integrations and stuff on there, but I don't consider myself to be technical because I don't, like Maddie said, I don't think I can sit down and code a program or I can't do it well, right? And I don't think I can even do it. But like... What's the differences there? Because I think those are some of the definitions that are kind of getting in our way and that also caused some of the major blowups back in November and December on Twitter with like, mm-hmm. no, 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 DevRel has to be technical. And, and someone actually CC'd me on one of those tweets and I was like, hi, sorry, I'm going to poke holes all through your <laughs> argument because you CC'd me because I wrote the book on DevRel and yet I have no degree. Mm-hmm. I have no developer experience. I've done no boot camp. Like I literally am the antithesis of what you're saying. And yet you're CCing me to back you up in your statement that you have to be technical to be in DevRel. I so feel like the, a big reason is because the, whoever's writing up these job descriptions, um, they realize that the, the role that they're trying to describe is going to be engaging with a technical audience. And so there's assumptions made that you have to be on you know, the same level, I guess, technically, but technical, you know, just the term technical, I think has multiple reasons or multiple definitions. And then each one has its own spectrum. I mean, Carissa was just telling us about how, you know, her background's in, was it microbiology and you've done a bunch of of cancer um, work. And so you're an extremely technical person from a, from like the scientific world. Um, And then there's other people who are super technical on like the operations side, but yet couldn't write a single line of code, you know, to save their life, which is, you know, maybe more like me and Maddie. Um, so there's just, there's too much um, gray space, I guess, when you just use terms like technical or tech savvy. I think it's a matter of, we, we somehow got to convince the people that are writing these job postings to, to get more specific on what they're looking for. Because if you're wanting me to play the role of, uh, developer advocate that is going to mostly be engaging with people who use specific software let's just say Kubernetes. Yet I don't really know Kubernetes that well. That's going to be a problem and I'm probably not going to be a good fit for that role. But to just say I'm not technical enough because I don't know Kubernetes is, I don't know, just it's Dismissive. not really. <laughs> I, I think it has to go back to what the actual, what are you going to be doing? And so I think for an example, like we just recently um, hired, you know, so we have, we have a bunch of advocates on our team, but we've only recently hired one that we call a developer advocate whose point is more speaking to software engineers because PagerDuty were more of a process and operations type, type thing. So most of our advocates go around that. We'll talk about that in a minute. And we were looking for someone and I, I again, don't, and, and I don't think we even would have said someone very technical. 
but it was important that they had some pretty stiff software engineering chops. And a big part of that is because half the job in this particular instance is writing software. It's going to be writing integrations. It's going to be um, creating open source libraries across multiple languages and things like that, where it was something that very specifically, I knew when we were putting the job rec together that we needed someone that had those chops because I'd spent the last year trying to do that stuff and I don't have them and I was not successful. But that's, but will that change with us over time too? It very well could. We could potentially hire a developer advocate later that once we've gotten a little more maturity around this, because again, it's a new practice. So we need someone who's doing more. They're doing, they're, the beginning of this is creating a lot of building. Then once it's kind of going, we may the 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 need for for being a fifty percent engineer may go down a little bit. But I think saying it as a broad across the board that if you're going to be a developer advocate, you have to be a software engineer. Um, I think it goes back to to Jason's point. It depends a lot on what that role is going to actually be doing, which means there's nuance. Yeah, and I mean that's a question I run into across the industry, <sighs> right? When people are like, okay. I, I want an an, a general answer to this question. What's the overarching thing about, you know, do, do developer advocates have to be technical or does everyone in DevRel have to be technical? And the thing that I start every response with is, well, it depends on the company and it drives people nuts. And they're like, no, 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 that's a cop out. And I'm like, no, really, it depends on the company. Like, what are your company's goals? What are your team's needs? What's the other team's needs? Like if you need someone to be writing integrations and working on BizDev partnerships and things like that, using BizDev in the like partnering with other companies and integration sense. But like if that's what you're looking for, then yes, you need someone who's technical. If you're looking for a dev advocate who's going to be out there helping people sitting down at their laptops at a hackathon, helping them debug their code. Yes, you need someone who has that developer experience and who has the ability to write code. But if you're looking for someone who's going to be talking generally about the topics and sharing what you're doing internally and sharing best practices and writing about those experiences on blogs and things like that, like eh, maybe not, right? Well, I think I think it also depends. Like you're saying, it depends on on the role within the company, but it also depends on what you're really doing. And I think this is in part part of the problem is is the terms that we use. Mm -hmm. Um, first of all, developer relations makes it very clear you're relating things to developers. Um, it's not saying you're speaking to a technical audience that may be doing things other than development. Right. Like that's not at all, like it's super specific. It's maybe overly specific. Maybe we should be technical relations or maybe we should be something along those lines. But developer relations very clearly says you're speaking to developers. And I think, you know, if we look back to it at, uh, at Community Pulse episode 22 when we were talking about hiring, um, both uh, Jill Jubinski and Matt Broberg talked about how they were very specific in the way they hired DevRel because they know what they want out of that role. Right. But they also both understand the role, so it's a little bit different. I think a lot of companies, as and I feel like we've said this a million times on this show, but a lot of companies, as they realize, A, what DevRel is, and B, how important it is to what they do, they say, well, developer relations. We don't need any relations. We need a developer. Hmm. Um, which is maybe where the whole technical versus non-technical argument gets started. Um, I, myself, I've talked to many of my clients and they, I re 
what's required of me is different on a technical level for each and every one of them. Some of them it's, you know, I don't even need to know what their product does. It might be above my head, but my job is to make sure that their content makes sense to people. Does that require someone who's technical to a degree? Like I have to at least understand what the terms mean. Um, does that mean I, ha I, I need to be technical? Maybe. Uh, and I think this is where we start to get bogged down. What does it mean to have a technical background? Mm -hmm. To me, have you worked for a tech company for any extended period of time, more than a couple of weeks? Good. You have a technical background. Well, but what about, sorry, what about like, Krista, you were saying earlier that you had to do some major convincing people. Major you, convincing. Can you give us like some insight on what those conversations looked like? Because um, you, you were technical, but you know, in terms of how PJ is describing the uh, prerequisite, you would have had to have worked at a tech company. Yeah, which I hadn't. I've worked at, um, at big pharma companies. I'm really highly respected big pharma companies like Genentech. And I worked at top tier academic institutions like University of California, San Francisco's Cancer Center. So I was working at big deal places, but I wasn't writing code in my job. But I was thinking about, and in bioscience, you do think about things very logically and you're doing problem solving all the time. It's a black box and it's nature's black box. Um, I also grew up around tech, like my family's in tech, so it doesn't feel odd to me. But the people that I was talking to felt like I had zero, zero transferable skills. I literally only got the job at New Relic because I had taken a job out of, right out of college doing a tiny bit of event planning at a university, and that's why I got a job in tech. It's because I had done event planning, not because I can carry out a 200-step process um, perfectly with attention to detail that makes honestly computer developers look really sloppy. You mess something up in a single step in bioscience, you've wasted $10,000, $20,000, potentially a once in a lifetime sample from a patient and you are in trouble and you have to start it all over again. There's no debugging bioscience. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was, it's crazy. But then for me, it was like, whatever I have to do, I'm going to do to get in and then I'm going to learn. So like I would say that even on the content, I was reviewing um, engineering posts about GRPCs at my last job that my content marketer couldn't understand. But I understood enough about what this is and how systems work from being in developer relations that I was the one that was re-architecting and pointing out holes and then going back to the developers and being like, hey, like these are the outstanding questions. This is where I think you need to move this. I did that that post ended up on the front page of Hacker News. Like, my name's not on it. I contributed, but I've, I've literally still been told when I was looking for jobs that I wasn't technical enough. Right. Like, so and I think, I, I think that's part of the problem with the whole gatekeeping aspect of it. Who sets the bar of technical enough? Who defines technical? Who defines, and, and Mary put some terms up to discuss like technical, tech savvy, technical training, developer background. Mm -hmm. Those, I mean, in my mind, those are all four, maybe not extremely different things, but like developer background stands out as the one that doesn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. One of these kids is doing its own thing. But it's interesting because even in this conversation among the five of us who seem to have fairly similar viewpoints on this, we've all used technical in a different way. Oh, absolutely. In a nuanced way. Yeah. So like, Sure, developer background seems to be kind of the one that doesn't fit, the one that doesn't belong, right? If you go with the song. But like we've used technical to refer to that. 
And I definitely, think that's definitely. the problem with the job descriptions and the problem with Twitter. Well, one of many problems with Twitter. But like... We don't yeah. have that kind of time, Mary. Right? <laughs> Doesn't it also, again, to your point of it depends, I think it depends a lot on the maturity of the program. Mm -hmm. um, because I am super into that what you really need to have the most important skill for anybody in, in, in an advocate type role is, is going to be empathy for the people consuming your, your service. But to have that empathy, there's a certain amount of experience to be able to, to or to be able to understand it. And I'd I'm, actually I'm, like I'm, to push back on that a little. Okay, bit. I, I'm, I'm qualifying. I'm qualifying my statement when I say experience <laughs> to be able to. Um, I guess it's a lot easier to be able to do that when you have someone who can help mentor, who can help work through that. Whereas if it's a brand new function for the whole organization, there's maybe a little bit of uh, experience. Experience is the wrong word. I'm trying to. Uh, I don't mean experience by like, I've done this job, but having been in uh, a little more, having been in the shoes makes it a little bit easier and it's less of taking a chance. Um, I'm not, by no means am I playing devil's advocate here. I'm not trying to say that less, yes, you must have experience as a developer to be able to do these things. But I think, um, I think that's where, where the nuance comes in, whereas versus if I had a team where I already had some people who weren't helping create the function, um, it would be a, it's a lot harder for me to say this is the first person in my organization that's doing this role and we don't really know what it's supposed to be. It's a lot harder to take someone who hasn't had the experience of, of working within that kind of stuff. Um, I still don't like it being a firm gate because I think that needs to be something, a conversation that has to happen a little bit further down the road with the candidate, right? Yeah. To be able to say, you know, and because that's what's going to end up happening there is it is a little bit of taking a chance. But but when you're creating a new program, you're taking a chance with whomever you're bringing in. Right. Can I just push back on this a little bit? Because I think I have a unique perspective. Um, so I'm on a huge, uh, the Azure team, Azure Advocate team is, is like a very, very large team now. And that's what that's I'm it. on now. But it's new. It is just a little bit, just tiny. Um, the The peer group I'm on is larger than my whole last company. So um, I was DevRel team of one at my last company. I did it all. Um, I don't have a background in it by a technical standpoint. I've never actually had to monitor a production system. Um, does not mean I was not good at my job. And I, I built that program from scratch. Like I was it. There was no one else. There was no separate advocate versus community manager. There was no events person. There was no social person. It was me. It's startup land. Um, and the thing that I, how I try to think about it is that my job is one part cheerleader. So one part is like making sure people know how this could be really awesome for them. But the other part is being therapist. And I think the part that is key about that is like, you can go to a therapist and they may not have actually personally experienced the problems that you have personally experienced in your life. Doesn't mean they're not a good therapist. It means they know how to ask you the questions to get to the root of like what you're feeling about something. And then my job was to listen, make sure they're heard, and then take that back to the people that they needed to hear it internally or get them hooked up with support. I've, I've opened a laptop and got on Slack with, with a support team right there in a booth. And like that, that is, that is a therapist part, but I didn't need to actually experience monitoring a production system while working at a monitoring company to be a good therapist. 
Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I again, I, I think I was thinking along the lines of if you have within that organization, then resource that can help support that community function. Mm -hmm. But if you know, and, and I'm, I'm putting some specific thoughts about experiences that I've had where if maybe engineering is not going to be a resource for that yet, right? Maybe part of it is that and and I cannot stress enough that I'm not saying you have to have the experience to be able to be in a place like that, because Chris, I agree that that skill of being able to be that therapist and that cheerleader and, and, and have that empathy is far more essential, far harder to hire for than someone who says, okay, I've actually done that stuff. Um, I guess maybe, maybe a, a better way to kind of reframe what I was saying is that that, that may be part of the, um, the way to build the uh, the case for not having the experience. And it's something that the hiring manager is going to have to, it should, should put more first and foremost yeah. um, to then say, okay, how would you go about doing this? Rather than, and, and this is, I guess, totally I guess that's the way to put it is rather than saying, no, you don't have enough experience say like, okay, so we can agree that this is going to be part of the challenge. How are you going to do, what are you going to do about that? Like how, how would we work together on that? And to me, if I were in that position of the hiring manager, that is an essential question. Like that would tell me everything or not everything. That would tell me so much more about what I need to know about hiring you than your GitHub resume. Yeah. yeah and I, and I completely agree with that. I think, you know, part of hiring always should be, how are you approaching a problem? Right? Mm -hmm. Like how would you think about the problems in that role? Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, I hadn't had the, the ability to, or, you know, the opportunity to hire somebody else. But yeah, I know if, if, if I were and I was looking to like build a team of advocates, um, to me, I, I would care less about their resume. I would care less about, you know, like Matt said, what their GitHub account looks like. I'm looking for the people that have the, like Chris, to Chris's point, have that like therapist side of them, the empathetic side, um, the, the good listener. But then they're also they're like a, just a constant student, you know, like the growth mindset people who just, they recognize that, yeah, I don't know how to, how to do anything in, in, Ruby or, or Go or whatever, but if it's a requirement of this job or if it's going to help me be able to relate and advocate for the people that are part of my community, then I'll learn it, you know, because that's that's what I've always done. I, I learn things that I need to learn. Well, this and is so not only learning. Yeah, so that, I think that's a better way to like isolate the, the people you want on your team rather than some sort of, uh, you know, checklist of things. It takes, yeah. it takes so here's a challenge that could come in that I just was thinking about. And I'm, I'm bringing these up as conversation points, not to say that these are, these are reasons for the gates. So one of the other challenges with bringing it, so if we think about the fact that if, and I know we'd say, okay, it depends on are you an advocate, an evangelist, and blah, 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 blah. But if we're gonna use the word advocate, and I specifically really like that word because as Mary has her mantra, and I'm gonna mangle it, but the way we think about it in pager duty is the reason we're advocates is we advocate to the community, but we also advocate for them. So one of the challenges that could happen is so if now you are speaking, you represent the users, right? You're Tron. There's some uh, challenge if you don't have the quote unquote street cred to then go represent to your engineering department who may need some education. So where I'm going with this is not to say, well, this is why you should have a development background, but maybe this might be something to talk about a little bit if it's not too much of a tangent about what are some techniques, if you are in a scenario like that, to be able to help say like, okay, what can I do 
to get engineering to like think that I actually know what I'm talking about. So this is something that I've struggled with my entire career is that I, I don't always know the exact problem that people are dealing with. I, I don't always have the exact right words. And going back, building on what Jason was saying earlier, you always have a learning mindset. You also have a connecting mindset. So you're not just learning about the technologies, you're learning who internally at your company or who else within your community can help you understand these problem areas the best. So who can I go to when a community member comes to me and goes, hey, this is a massive problem and I'm looking at the words going, I understand all of those words in the English language, I have no idea what the hell you're saying with them in those orders, right? But I can go to one of my engineers in the engineering department and go, hang on, can I get a 15 minutes of your time for you to help me understand what this problem is? Or I sit down with the community member and go, can I have 15 minutes of your time to help me understand what this problem is so I can better represent you to the company? And I think so often in DevRel, people are scared to say, I don't know. And when we get the mindset of like, no, 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 I can't admit that I don't know exactly what they're talking about then we lose that trust aspect with the community. Because if we can sit down and go, okay, I know you're experiencing a problem. Here's the pieces that I do know. Here's the pieces that I don't. Help me put it all together so I can represent you accurately to the rest of the company. Then we build that authenticity. We build that trust up with our community members. Which I think would then go to my second thing, which was when you're not necessarily being an advocate for a specific thing the community is asking for, but something you know needs to be done. Because sometimes there's a larger gestalt, which is, I, for example, like I think that as a dev advocate, one of the things that you're responsible for is protecting the developer experience. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily going to be something where you know, like the way that our API works is shit, right? Like that's not necessarily going to be because somebody came to me and said that, but it's more of you're seeing this gestalt of stuff but I can see your point, which is if you start, you can start to build it with the smaller stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, as much as I love talking about all of this and I want us to continue talking about it, I think we're coming up on time. This could um, be a three hour long oh, episode. It really could. <laughs> can I, can I ask a question before we run out of time? Cause I'm really sure. interested. I would like to hear more Carissa about like some of the things like you talked about, kind of your, your challenge with that, but like when someone is in these, what are, are there some like applicable or actionable takeaways that someone who's trying to do this is running into those cases, like that can learn from what you, what you saw? Cause I think you're pretty good at this. The, the use case in terms of going back internally to tell people. Or no, just in general with, with like, if you're running into these gates, like what, what are some. Into the, into the gatekeeping. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think there's there's um, ways that you can go around it, but one of the things that, I mean, I'm always constantly, going back to what Jason said, I'm always constantly learning. Like my GitHub repo is not going to be pretty and green. It's really not. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you that I'm reading a lot of the top, top blog posts. I'm following a lot of what people are talking about, and I tend to ask a lot of questions. I do admit that I don't know things. I think that's one thing that bioscience trained me you actually do get up in front of people all the time, present your work, get challenged on that work. And if you try to bullshit it, it's not going to go okay. Like you really are going to get called out and probably taken aside and, and reprimanded. So you learn to say, I don't know, but I will go find out. So I had nine years of practicing saying to someone, I hear you. I don't know the answer to your question right now, but I'm going to go find out. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps. But like, 
advocating for me being technical, I think it just depends on your management. Like if they can see that you have connections to people or that you've contributed to things or you can point to things like I can point to a GRPC blog post that I helped with um, specifically, I think getting into specifics can help managers realize when they're hiring that you might bring more to the table than what's written in your GitHub repo or what side projects you've done or what languages you feel comfortable writing. I don't feel comfortable writing JavaScript. I know a ton of people in the JavaScript community, but I don't know how I'm not, I can't write it to save my life. I've been writing code for years and I cannot stand writing JavaScript. Yes. Another one. I I know people who are, who are highly ranked members in several (laughs) different JavaScript communities who still can't write JavaScript because (laughs) JavaScript and maybe we just should. Yeah. So, but listening and taking it back internally specifically, or when I'm talking to hiring managers about my work, it's about being specific. It's about saying oh, yeah. there was a time that I did this thing that helped and contributed. Uh-huh. It's very specific where it's like, I, you know, that's more important to them once you start getting there, but getting past a recruiter gatekeeper, I don't, I don't have any help for that that I don't know. And I think that's the hardest, that's the highest hurdle. Yeah. Because networking, they, they don't, they don't know if you know what you're talking about and they often don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say network then has kind of helped me more than, yeah. than, you know, as it helps in most recruiting situations. So, so once again, the answer is the people. Yes. Always. The always. It's always about the people. Always. Until we're doing robot stuff then you know, <laughs> Which brings us to checkouts. There you go. Um, and the reason why I say is because I have a robot in my checkouts. Uh, then, I think you're first. <laughs> then, then I will go first. That's cool. Okay, so I was actually, we were checking out some stuff over the weekend, and my wife came across this interesting Kickstarter for a thing called Scribbit. And the way it works is it's kind of like a robot. It almost looks like a Roomba that ties to two threads on your wall, and it will swing back and forth, and it is interactive. So you can have it like display and draw your Twitter feed or put new art on the wall every day. It is erasable art. So if you put, you know, like a picture of, I don't know, your dog up there or something that you scan and you can scan things in and then you're like, okay, well that was great this month. I want something else. I would like to see my calendar displayed or my list of groceries. It will go up and it will, it will then draw that. So that's really cool. I think it's a really cool thing. It's called Scribit, S-C-R-I-B-I-T interactive wall art. It's currently in the Kickstarter phase, but hopefully they deliver because it's really cool. Uh, my other checkout is also from my wife. She started a podcast called Hey You. Um, and it's just called the Hey You podcast. And kind of like we like to have conversations here. She's having conversations that are more about the things that are going on in people's lives that they maybe don't talk about because you're too busy with the, you know, 200 character tweet or the, you know, little brief picture on Facebook or the arrogant selfie on Instagram to make your life look great. You're not really talking about the things that matter. So she just wanted to talk about things that she thinks people don't talk about. So it's the Hey You podcast, heyyou.limson.com. Uh, check it out. And those are my checkouts for this episode. Who wants to go next? I'll go next. I think I had some really good selfies on Instagram this weekend though, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> All right, free, free, full, full disclosure, I am no longer on Instagram. I am not on Facebook. You're not on either? Oh, man, that's a whole all? other episode. That's a whole other episode. What are you doing with all that extra free time? Uh, you know what? Reading Snapchat. books. <laughs> hey, there you go. That'll be that'll be your checkout next month. 
Um, okay, so yeah, I've got a couple of things. Uh, first of all, the there's an event coming up that um, I'm going to be part of. That's uh, if you're into if you work at any startups or you know friends that are working at a startup, um, Microsoft is doing this thing called Microsoft Create, which is kind of the 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 little sibling of our Microsoft uh, Ignite the Tour thing that we've been doing. This is another global event starting in April, goes through June. There's 12 cities all around the world. And if you go to create, actually, let me find it, createstartups.io, you can find more information about that. Um, and then my other thing is I've got a couple of books that I'm reading. Um, the first one I highly recommend. I know not everybody can see this, but it's called Badass, Making Users Awesome by Kathy Sierra. This is actually a book that was recommended to all of us on the Microsoft team a couple weeks ago at our, our, our uh, summit, our big kind of group gathering of everybody. Um, I'm about halfway through it. It's really, really good, especially um, for other advocates and dev relations people. There's some really great things in there. And then the other book I'm reading, uh, or actually just finished this morning, is Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which I think should be mandatory reading for really anybody who works with, uh, you know, works in a team with, with others. Uh, works with humans. Yeah, just works yes. with people in general. It's a, even if you're not like in management or anything like that, if you just like work with people and a lot of different personalities, um, and you're trying to get shit done. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in that book. So check those plus out. One, plus one to everything and anything that Kathy Sierra does, by the way. Oh yeah. And her it's her talks are fantastic. Her books are fantastic. Yeah. The style that she writes, like it's got a lot of uh, visual stuff to it. So, it, you know, I don't know. It's just a different, it's a different read for sure. Um, highly recommend. That's all I got. Maddie, you want to go in next? Sure. Uh, so first of all, uh, for those of us who do the speaking thing, I'm a big fan of a site called Notist. So it's N-O-T-I dot S-T. It's a great place for, it's part, part, part and parcel is for sharing slides, but I really like the way that you kind of put the whole talk together. You can embed code, videos, tweets about it, all sorts of stuff. Um, if you go to speaking.mattstratton.com, you can see what it looks like for me. Uh, and then speaking of giving talks and things like that. DevOps Day Chicago, which I run, is coming in August. We have an open CFP right now. We're also looking for sponsorships, um, and those things will go quickly. So that's at devopsdayshy.org. And Captain Marvel looked fucking amazing. So when and saw that. Plus and one I, to that. I think Plus uh, one. Plus one. They'll just, just sort of basically say, come and fight me on Twitter if you think I'm wrong. Because um, normally I don't like to fight with people about stuff like this, but this one I will go to the mat. And I, Wait, could you really use the phrase "go to the mat"? Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's a little uh, on the nose, you know. I guess I, a little too on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, real quick, because I want to take up all the rest of time, but I did promise that I was going to give my pro tip for karaoke ignite. So, the the way that this goes in is if you're familiar with an improv game called freeze tag or freeze, where you you people do a scene and you'll call you'll freeze and you have to pick it up where where they were at. I had an improv teacher who was really good at it, and I said to him, I said, Jeffrey, what's your trick? And he said, the trick is. Don't think of an idea first. When you see something interesting, call freeze and think of it on your way up there. And the trick for Karaoke Ignite is don't try, don't adjust to the slides. Because by the time you think of a thing that the slide makes you think of, guess what? It's on to the next one. So think of a story you're going to tell. And the interesting thing is the slides will always work. <laughs> Doesn't matter what slides come up, they will somehow match to what you're talking about and look really, really, really funny. So yes. that's the secret. Awesome. Carissa? Um, I'm going to say Captain Marvel was super amazing, and I just want to do one shout out. I don't think it's a spoiler, but they don't give her a love interest, and I just want to say how much I 
freaking fucking appreciated that mm -hmm. so much. Oh my God, so much. Um, so yeah, that. And then the other really cool thing that I just saw happened recently is that Backstage Capital, um, which is run by Arlen, um, just launched their accelerator. So I'm really excited to see what they do because I think their commitment to funding diverse projects with diverse founders is super key. And for them to get like an accelerator program to put some structure around that. So, and also hopefully get more visibility around that, I think is really awesome. So I'm really excited to see what they do next with that. Nice. Well, I think for my checkouts, I'm plus oneing everything that everyone else just said um, in our doc this week. It's literally like plus one for noticed. And then someone said Captain Marvel. I was like, plus one for Captain Marvel, plus one for Kathy Sierra's book. Uh, but I agree with Maddie on noticed for sure. I now have an updated speaking page after procrastinating for like, the last year and a half because I didn't want to hard code something into my website. Um, the other thing, I came across a Kickstarter recently. I think there's only like 68 hours left, which is unfortunate, but maybe they'll do a pre-sale or something for it as well. But if you're into puzzles and like solving mind games or escape rooms or things like that, there's a, a book that's coming out called 404 book and it's just 404-book.com. Um, and it's this puzzle book that's like part, you know, go to this website to find your next clue and then solve the answer. And depending on what answer you choose, it gives you a different set of clues and everything else, uh, which sounds really cool. And I'm stoked about it. Uh, and then I've been reading slowly, but reading uh, the essential guide to developer marketing. And it's been interesting to me to see how much overlap there is um, between DevRel and, and developer marketing. So I definitely encourage folks to go read that if they're interested in the the marketing side and how we can work better with marketing teams. Um, chapter three in particular talks about creating communities and was just spot on with so many things that I've done at companies in the past. Um, I have a tweet thread that I've been keeping for quotes and things that I'm, that I'm picking up on. So I'll post that in the show notes too. Very cool. Um, this has been a wonderful episode. Carissa, Maddie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you're interested or have ideas on what we can talk about here on the Community Pulse, please reach out to us. Check out what's going on at communitypulse.io, at Community Pulse on Twitter. I think our outro will definitely cover all of the other Twitter handles and whatnot. Um, Except for our guests. What are your Twitter handles real yes. quick? Where can people find you? On my I, uh, Twitter handle, go. <laughs> on my Twitter handle is Carissa Pass. That's just my I name. Mine is Matt Stratton, so that's who. Oh, awesome. very clever. Keeping it easy. We're so clever, Carissa. High this five. Is, <laughs> this, this is 100% how I age myself by having a handle that is not my actual name on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but it's my medical condition. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for another great episode. Uh, there's definitely going to be more to talk about. Uh, check out the After Pulse after this. And uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse Podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse, online at communitypulse.io, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.